This is episode 15 of the Sudden Wealth Podcast, brought to you by SuddenWealthProtectionLaw.com, a proud provider of proven, effective legal strategies for protecting your wealth. Do you qualify for a trust that's backed by 200 years of case law and is effective in all states and is effective in bankruptcy court? Well, find out by visiting SuddenWealthProtectionLaw.com and sign up to talk to an attorney. And please do that after you listen to this episode because you'll love what you're about to learn. At Sudden Wealth Protection Law, we know that you want your heirs to have the same work ethic and drive that you do. And if you have recently had a financial windfall, such as an inheritance, you want to make good choices and to feel understood. In order for all of that to happen, you need guidance that you can trust and the support of a community of people who understand you. The problem is, when it comes to getting professional help in this area, there are a lot of posers or wannabes. It's hard to know who you can trust. Now we believe that everyone deserves the best help when it comes to protecting your family's wealth. We understand what it's like to be the target of greed, jealousy, and resentment just because you have some money. I personally inherited $14 million from my father and I blew most of it because, well, the only people who seemed to care about my emotional needs turned out to be con artists and they won my trust and I lost millions. And oh, by the way, no one had ever trained me on how to manage that much money. So I was figuring it out as I went. That's why I eventually became a certified family wealth advisor and started this law firm, Sudden Wealth Protection Law. Now, although Sudden Wealth is central to our discussions, we also talk about other topics such as the psychology of money, family dynamics, saving taxes, asset protection, how to maintain family harmony, even in spite of having different ideas and different values and everything. And in this episode, we happen to talk about Gertinger's cat. So we <laughs> talk about a lot of different things. In this podcast, family business advisor Michael Zalno, who has been on the other podcast also, he's on the podcast and my legal assistant Alexandra is on and I'm on. And we discuss the differences between equity and equality in estate planning. During the conversation, we discuss three key insights that you will definitely want to hear. First, we talk about the ramifications of equal versus unequal payments to heirs and how the division of assets depends on each family's unique situation. Then, you'll learn about what kinds of conversations should probably happen in your family in order to head off any issues when your estate gets distributed, after you're gone, of course. And then third, as I talked about before, we discuss Schrodinger's cat. I can't say it. The idea is this. It's important to talk to your kids about their inheritance ahead of time before you die. But it's hard to anticipate ahead of time how that conversation is going to go. And because you don't know what will happen as a result of the conversation, it can leave you paralyzed by indecision about how to proceed. But if you have built a good foundation of communication and trust with your children from an early age, the conversation is much more likely to have a favorable outcome, a favorable conclusion. So again, lean forward and listen carefully because this episode could have a significant impact on your future financial success. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. You have the old crowd. Michael, how are you doing? <laughs> okay. Doing okay. All right. Well, Okay, 
I didn't tell you about this, Alexandra, but today I wanted to talk about equity versus equality. And okay, let me kind of introduce this topic. So specifically, what got me thinking about it is I saw a cartoon, a political cartoon recently showing the difference between equality and equity. And equality is where there is a picture of three kids trying to find or trying to watch a baseball game. And they were, they were looking over this fence and they were, they were each on what four wooden or three wooden boxes. Yeah. So they could each see the game. And then and that's called equality. So they're all treated equally. Then equity was basically figuring out how they could all be the same height. So they could, none of them could actually look over the fence in any event. We, we don't need to talk about that, but I was thinking about it in the family context because in my estate planning software, one of the questions that I get, or one of the questions that I have to answer is when the client dies, should the trustee have the discretion to make unequal payments to kids based on needs? And like in in the past, I would think about that and just like, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and you know, pick an answer. I asked the client, usually the client wouldn't care because they, they wouldn't have thought through the issues. And as I think about it though, here's how it comes up. Okay. You have two kids. One is a doctor and makes half a million a year. And the other one is a school teacher, like in a disadvantaged neighborhood making 50,000 a year or 40 or 30 or whatever. And so in that case, should the, should more money go to the teacher because the teachers, you know, doing just as much good for society just doesn't have to make as much money Mm -hmm. or should it be done equally? And, and I'll tell you just from my own personal experience, what often happens after things shake out and the parents die and the kids discover that this is what was put in the trust, it often creates friction in the family. Because the doctor child is thinking, you know, listen, I worked really hard to go through medical school. I'm still paying off my um, school loans. And I was going to use this money to, to actually pay off my loans. And, and then meanwhile, the teacher saying, that, you know, the teacher maybe gets more money and is able to go on vacations. And meanwhile, the doctor child hasn't had a vacation for five years. And just as an example, I kind of made up those facts, but the kind of situation I have seen happen, and it it usually creates more friction between the siblings than if the children had been treated equally. And, And then actually, I've thought about it even more. And if there's significant money, I actually think that what works out well is to kind of hold things in trust and and allow the kids to borrow from it or use it for emergencies and try to pass it on to future generations instead of putting them on on monthly payments or, you know, trying to get rid of the money. Because I I think the the mentality of most estate planning attorneys and probably most people is, well, I built up this money, I saved this money during my lifetime and I can't think of what else to do with it. So I guess I'll just help my kids in the future. And so it ends up kind of being whittled away at, and at some point it's gone. And so that, you know, I guess that's the context of what I was thinking about and go everyone talk now. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of this, I know in a lot of our previous podcasts, we've talked about how important communication in the family is when setting this stuff up. 
And especially when it comes to equity and fairness, that sounds like a conversation that the parents or whoever is leaving the money should be having with their children before this is even a thing. Mm-hmm. Like taking on that leadership responsibility and saying, hey, okay, I've got this legacy that I want to leave. Let me talk to you guys about it. What do you think seems fair to both of you? You know, I can see because both sides are equally valid. Like I know I come from a family of educators and like my parents, both of my parents have master's degrees and have worked their tails off in the public education system for years and years and years, making very little money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the kinds of sacrifices that they made you know, just in our family, like my mom was constantly gone when I was a kid doing extracurricular stuff to make, you know, some extra money here and there. And so like, as far as how hard they worked versus, you know, a doctor, I don't know if you can really quantify that. And so I think that that's kind of a sticky place to, you know, try to make that judgment call. But at the same time, you know, just because one child has more lucrative career from the, than the other doesn't necessarily mean that they should be left out of anything either. So I think that that, you know, is definitely the conversation that you should be having before you even start setting up your estate. Yeah. Michael? Yeah, I agree with the communication thing. The only thing I would add or change is the parents raise those kids. They're not going to be capable on their own to have that conversation. Oh, no, it would have to happen before. I mean, in a sense, that's part of what our role might be is Mm -hmm. facilitate those meetings. Mm -hmm. Parents, when they have children and there's money, I think like the other day I was talking to someone and their children are young. And I said, you need to deal with those issues now and let them know if the gift you want to give them is a college education, then the doctor shouldn't have had any debt. And if the other child wants to go to become a teacher, they don't have any debt. They both wind up leaving education at the same place, no debt. So that's that. Okay. Additionally, what do you do if a child, you know, one, one child goes off and becomes a, a doctor or a lawyer or a you know, whatever. And the other child loves music and wants to open a guitar store. So should you provide them with funding to that tuition to give them the opportunity? But I think if you're holding the conversations when people are, the children are 45 years old, you, you are setting yourself up for a nightmare because they will feel entitled. Even if the doctor's 35 or 40, they might just feel entitled. Yeah. Well, and two, like if you consider the difference, okay, say neither of the kids, the doctor or the teacher had help with paying for college, right? So you're the teacher's going to end up with, I don't know, $50,000 in student loan debt. And the doctor ends up with $150,000 in student debt. You also have to look at the fact that they're on very different pay scales. So like a teacher is probably not going to make enough to cover their $50,000 debt as quickly as a doctor might to cover their $150,000. So yeah. yeah. I feel like, you know, that's something that you'd have to take into account too, is that with the higher pay grade. Agreed. I I have a cousin whose son is a resident. His wife is a dentist. Between them, they have $350,000 of debt. Mm -hmm. When they moved to where they're now living, they went, they wanted to buy a house. They had no trouble getting a mortgage. I guarantee you someone who teaches and is two or three years into a teaching thing that has a relatively the same amount of debt given their education, 35, 40,000, will not get a mortgage for a house. So there, there are other things, but I, I guess, but 
I think the big point here is that you, they, you know, the parents need to sit down. I think that all too often, and Paul can maybe talk about this, is that parents do these things in total mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember my parents, uh, three, uh, two younger brothers, they would not only, myself and another brother were about 10 days apart, and we'd get the exact same birthday card and the exact same check. And we were at his house. My mother says, why don't you open up your car? I said, I already saw the card. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are different. Yeah. And I think that part of a pair, you know, and part of the, so when you look at equal, knowing what mm-hmm. one wants or needs, someone may say, I don't need your $3 million. I'm content in my 150, you know, $200,000 house. I teach, I get the summers off. I save some money. So if I have less money and I do think I'm happy with that. And the other thing about equal, I thought about this. If you, like you said, if, if people could take money out for healthcare, if I want to do plastic surgery and someone else needs cancer surgery, sorry, cancer surgery gets more money. Yeah. So maybe like Paul would make it say, look better. That's your issue. You know, to set it up in a way where, you know, maybe they borrow against the trust that is set up or, you know, it's very, it's more specifically dealt with. I think that that, you know, would definitely help mitigate those problems, but it's just a communication thing. Like you have to start that early. Well, I, I hate how you both ruined my, <laughs> my premise <laughs> and started talking about details. Damn, damn it. It was, I, I had a really good theory going there. No, I, I think things can be done differentially as long <laughs> as the basis for it is made clear when the children are relatively young. And it's amazing how much kids will understand. And, and there's a re- recent thing I read, children that are given allowances versus kids that simply come in and say, can I have $10? Kids that get allowances are much more responsible with their money. So if you want to teach responsibility, give the child an allowance. And if they overspend, they can draw against next week but if they're getting $10 a week and get a dollar early, they're only getting nine. Yeah, so my my 13-year-old is learning that lesson right now, and he's not loving it. <laughs> yeah, but it, children raised that way seem to be more responsible with money. And I think the big thing that I've seen is all too many attorneys that do you know the estate planning do it on behalf of the parents, and it's not shared with the children sometimes until the parents die. Yeah. So they have no input. I think I gave the example... Months ago, I knew a family where there were four children. Four children. One of the sibs was uh, had learning disability and was deaf. Mm-hmm. The parents, to be nice, wanted to leave everyone the same amount of money, and they mentioned that. And the children got together and said, "No, this child needs more money, but she's also going to not live as long." Yeah. So if you give her more, it's going to wind up falling back into the estate at some point anyway. Yeah. And I thought that's because they sat down and talked it out. And they talked it out before they were given the money. Yeah. So like people that start a business to say, oh, we can be, you know, there are four of us, we're equal partners, blah, blah, blah. But there's no money coming in. All of a sudden there's money coming. It's wait a second. What I do is more important than what you do. So Paul, when you've set up estate plans in the past, have you ever suggested that it might be a good idea to like involve the whole family or like, how has that worked before for you? Like in the, in the planning, when you sit down with the parents, let's say, have you ever suggested, hey, maybe we should bring the kids in so we can all talk about what your hopes and dreams and wishes and legacy are? Well, so there are a couple of issues with that. One, one is 
as a being a lawyer is a different world, and and I think non lawyers have a hard time understanding it. So it, as the lawyer, I cannot bring other people in because then I would be breaching attorney client privilege. Got it. Unless I, I mean, I guess at least part of the conversation has to be alone with the clients. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And then and then at some point. Usually the way this happens naturally, and I, I think this is the natural conversation most attorneys have, is the question of, well, who should get a copy? The clients ask that. So like I, I present the, the binder and then, you know, and then they ask, well, who should we show this to or should we make a copy? And then I, I say, well, it's, it's actually a good idea to, and it depends on how old the kids are. I mean, do you give a copy of, you know, everything to the kids when they're 16? Probably not. When they're when they're 20, I mean, you know, with all the little details about, you know, when, when mom and dad die and can they, who's in charge, of, who's going to be the trustee and who can remove the trustee and who's, you know, like the first child is the, or I, I don't know, maybe it's the, the younger daughter who's put in place as the successor trustee. And then the older son is thinking, well, you know, what's, what's going on this, you know, and, and then that ruins the relationship. It gets really it can get really complicated. The typical response I get from clients is no, they don't want to share it with their kids because they're usually concerned that it's going to change the relationship if they share how much, well, okay. There, there's a conversation of who's in charge and how the, how those dynamics work. And then there's a conversation of how much money we have. And the, the clients typically don't want to share that with, with the kids because they're, they're afraid that, you know, well, I mean, just that by itself. What's the the quantum physics thing with the what is it, Gerdinger's cat or or whatever? Like when yeah, you, when you look in the box, right? Yeah, yeah Gerdinger's cat. <laughs> but they can, they can at the same time. Yeah. But what if the process was different? So what the family does first is sit down. They discuss these things. Mm-hmm. Come up with a to use a semi-legal term, a letter of agreement, right? Where the children, again, way let the children don't have to like what's going on. It's a question of informing them. It's kind of like who gets to vote. The seven-year-old doesn't get a vote. You know, at what point do they get a vote? But if but if they've discussed that, right? And the, the estate planning attorney is handed a document that says, based on this meeting, this is what we want to do. You know, and also, can the client break client privilege if they say, "I want my children here"? Oh, oh, yes, of course. I I didn't get a chance to finish my thought. So the cat reference. What I meant is, right now, the relationship between parents and kids, or whoever is in the family, is this certain way. And then when the kids, whatever age they are, know how much money they're going to be getting when mom and dad die, or or when when mom dies and knowing that there's a stepdad who's then going to be living off the trust money that that changes things and the fear is that the kids may be disappointed and maybe will stop communicating or maybe maybe the kids will start communicating more but then then the parents are thinking well that's only because i told you how much money there is and and you know how real is that and I, I will tell you that I, I've seen this go very sour in families where some of the kids like really build a strong, loving relationship with their parents. And it turns out after the fact that 
part of that strong, loving relationship was used as leverage to convince dad to change the trust and disinherit the daughter that the other kids didn't like or the sibling that the other kids didn't like. And then, and then dad dies and the trust has a no contest clause and all this other stuff. And, and then the, the kids who inherited the money have tons of money and can afford the, the very best lawyer. And then disinherited daughter has no money and can't afford a lawyer. And it's just a, it, it can be a very sad situation that's this made so artificially merely because of, I guess the knowledge and without maybe special training and Michael, maybe you can speak to how something like that could have been different. Well, it'll be different. Doesn't And one of the things when I went to see Jurassic park, what I got from Jurassic park was the idea of chaos. Okay. The other thing, because of my parents' experiences is this notion, you're not always in control. When you take a different path, all you know is it's going to be different. doesn't mean it'll be better. But if parents communicate and you've got, again, if you have someone who who understands and gets them to communicate, understands agendas and is willing to confront, I've seen situations where, you know, dad says says one thing, but mom is the good person. Oh, no, you have to treat everyone the same. Well, we're back to the equal. What What does treating everyone the same really mean? But the real issue is, is to is to do the process and mediate it, facilitate it. And I'm willing to bet if I was in a room with a family for six or seven hours doing a family meeting, I will pick up the con artist after a while. Mm. Well, and like I know one of the things that you know we really want to focus on is the the legacy planning and the multi-generational wealth. So at some point, when do you say to your clients, hey, you really do need to talk to your family about this stuff if what you want is a true legacy because it's going to come up like the conversations are hard, but part of being a good leader and you know raising your children well is to have hard conversations. And a lot of that does revolve around money and it you know it can feel taboo and uncomfortable and it can feel alienating. But I think that you know, if we're really trying to build those family legacies, then like, that's something that, you know, should probably be talked about. Like, I mean, what do you do when you have like a client push back on that when you're like, Hey, I'm really trying to set up this legacy that you have in mind, but like your family needs to kind of be in on this, you know, when we can figure out how to do that. But like, how do you coach them through that? I don't, well, I tend to be a bit confronted then. Mm-hmm. In other words, if someone says, I want to do X, and, and they, they set up a plan, they discuss, they said, none of this has to do with you accomplishing X. What do you really want to do? It's just verbiage because you read in an article somewhere that you should leave a legacy or because you really want to leave one. And whether you want to leave one or not, you will. Yeah. If what you do is basically set up the condition so that when you die, your family explodes. That's your legacy. doesn't matter what your intent is. You are going to leave a legacy whether you want to or not. Okay. And the idea is to have it be, discuss it, and make effort to make it at least be as positive as possible. And that's a subjective word in itself. Okay. Good conversation. Good conversation. So let's do a quick review of the insights that we discovered in this episode. First, we talked about the ramifications of equal as opposed to unequal payments to your heirs, to your kids, 
and how the division of assets is a nuanced practice. It depends on family, what your family circumstances and uh, the relationships. Second, you learned about what kinds of conversations should probably happen in your family in order to head off issues when your estate gets distributed after you die, of course. And third, we went over the idea that trying to figure out how much information to give your heirs is not a simple issue because you don't know what will happen as a result of the conversation. So it can leave you paralyzed by indecision about how to proceed. But if you have built a good foundation of communication and trust with your children from an early age, the conversation is much more likely to have a a good, favorable outcome. And speaking of reviews, before we end this episode, please go to SuddenWealthProtectionLaw.com forward slash iTunes and type in your biggest takeaway or aha moment that you experienced during the episode. You can do that now in the reviews section. And when you do it, iTunes will ask you to rate the episode. I hope we earned five stars from you. Have we? Well, let me know, actually. And if we didn't for some reason, or maybe I rambled too much in these in the <laughs> ending script here, let me know how we can improve. So go ahead, declare your one big takeaway in the iTunes review section by visiting SuddenWealthProtectionLaw.com forward slash iTunes. It'll just take three minutes out of your day, but what you declare could provide a lifetime of learning. Okay, so that does it for this week. I'm attorney Paul DeLauri, and I hope our paths cross again next week for the Sudden Wealth Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you understand the psychology of money so that you can better protect, manage, and grow your money, both now and for future generations. And do whatever it takes to join us next time. I can't wait to connect with you then. All good wishes. 